Yeah, the psalmist said it was good when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I tell you what, it's good to come into the house of the Lord here and to worship together. I just love, boy, I love the songs this morning. My goodness, I don't know how Stephanie does that week after week, just picking out the perfect songs for us to sing. She probably prayed about it. That's probably true. Amen. Well, so you had some help. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's great from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's good. Well, you know, we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. And I probably have preached on this passage sometime in the last 50 years, but I can't actually remember preaching a sermon on this passage of Scripture. And uh, But I may have, but I may not have. But I will this morning. And... Uh, let me just say that uh, as we read through the Gospels, we read the life story of Jesus. Not everything, of course. In fact, the Gospel of the, the Apostle John said if, if we wrote everything down that Jesus did and taught, uh, the world wouldn't be big enough to hold it all. He did so much. But we have certain little sections, seg- little uh, segments of uh, ministry of Jesus, enough to see about his birth, he was born of a virgin, about his life, that he lived a perfectly sinless life, and he lived a a life of outstanding teachings and outstanding works. He did miracles. He healed sick people, and uh, uh, he raised people from the dead even. There were at least three cases in the Bible where he raised people from the dead, and and, uh, and then, of course, his parables, his teachings were just amazing. We've seen some of that already in the Gospel of Mark. But here's one thing that we saw back in the third chapter was that he called to himself 12 disciples, 12 disciples. And he took these men with him everywhere he went, and he trained them, and he taught them, and he showed them what it was like to minister and what it was like to love people. And they were slow learners like most of us are, but, uh, but they began to get a little bit at a time. And uh, so Jesus was doing what he was later going to tell us to do, to make disciples. When Jesus, uh, after his death and his resurrection, and he's, he was getting ready to ascend back uh, to the Father, he uh, called his disciples together, and he gave what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And he said, it's in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and he said, uh, go into all the world and and make disciples of all the nations, all people groups, all the different groups of people, tribes and tongues, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and then a promise, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if you were an English student, and you were going to diagram that sentence, which I know a lot of you probably do that just for fun anyway with most of the sentences you read, but uh, you would find that there's actually only one command. In that sentence. Now, a lot of people think it's the first word, go, but it's, that's actually not 
the way that should be translated. It's uh, it, it, that's a participle, and it it actually means as you are going. So the command in the sentence is make disciples, make disciples, and that's what Jesus was doing. He was making disciples. And he says to us, here's your great commission. It's not, it's not even evangelism, as important as that is. In fact, that's, of course, you have to evangelize in order to make disciples, I suppose. But our task is to make disciples. Brother John, I appreciate your passion for that very thing. I want to make disciples. And, and as you make disciples... Here's what you do. You, you find someone by the leadership of the Lord that is open by the Holy Spirit to hearing the gospel and you share the gospel with them, you share truth with them, and then when they believe, then they become... I mean, your work is just beginning at that time. It's not ending right there. See, a lot of people think, well, I go out and win people to Jesus, and, and that's, that's my task. I just win people to Jesus. Now, I'm not against winning people to Jesus. I think that's great, but that's not our command. Our command is to take those who have believed, and then we bring them along. And we make disciples out of them. That is, we teach them what we've been taught. And at the same time, we're probably being discipled by somebody else. And so that's the way it's supposed to work. There's to be a, 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 a someone like the Apostle Paul who is making a disciple out of Timothy. And then Timothy is making a disciple out of someone else. And then this someone else, once they have been disciples, then they in turn go and train other people, disciple other people to do the same things they've been taught. Can you imagine the genius of that? And yet most, I I think this is true, most churches are not about disciple-making. Most churches are about uh, worship, which is a wonderful thing. They're about service, helping other people, which is a wonderful thing. They're about fellowship, which is certainly a wonderful thing. And they may even be about evangelism, which obviously is a wonderful thing. But all of those are to be subservient to our main call, and that is personally discipling other people. So every Christian, everybody in this church should have somebody, at least one person, maybe two, that you are maybe formally or maybe informally that you are working with to help them understand more of what Jesus has taught you. Now, you don't wait until you know everything to do it, or you never would do it. As a matter of fact, I was telling our Sunday school class this morning, I have learned more about the Bible in the last few months than I learned in seminary 
And I learned it by watching a couple of young men from California as they're drawing pictures and explaining the literary structure of books of the Bible. And I've just seen things that I had never seen before. And I just come away so excited. And I want to tell other people about it. And that's the way discipleship is supposed to work. Is that we are learning. That's what the word disciple actually means. Learner. We are learning from the word, from the Lord, and from other Christians. And maybe from one specific Christian. If I were to ask you today, who is discipling you? Think about that for a second. Is there someone in your life that is kind of helping you grow in your understanding of Scripture and, and, and service in the, in the kingdom? And then I would ask then, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? The Apostle Paul told Timothy, teach the older men... It doesn't mean ancient men necessarily, just men who are older than somebody else. Teach them to teach younger men in such a way that they in turn can teach others. So, for me, let's say that Austin here is somebody that I want to disciple. And actually, to tell you the honest truth, he is one of the ones that I've I don't know if I was supposed to tell you that or not, but uh, but Austin's one of the ones that that I pray for a lot, and that I I like to talk to a lot, and that I want to go and eat lunch with from time to time, and I want to to share with him what God is doing in my life, and what I want to see God do in his life, and and I think every every one of us. Ought to have some specific person that we are praying for. Not just generally, not just Lord bless everybody, you know, that's kind of pretty general, <laughs> you know. But we ought to each one have a person or persons, it can be more than one, that we are discipling. And over the years, I've always had. <coughs> At least one, usually two or three people, that they're the focus of uh, of discipleship in my life. And uh, now you can't disciple everybody. Now I can preach to everybody. I can exhort. I can encourage. I can teach everybody. But there's no way that I could disciple more than two or three people. You say, well, Jesus had twelve. Yeah, but that's Jesus. So you know, he's He's got a little better head start on it. And he didn't have to have anybody discipling him. But uh, but you can do two or three at a time, but probably not more than that, really. About two or three people is about all you can do at a, at a time. So so here's, here's what I, I want us to see today in this passage, <coughs> that Jesus, he... He had these men with him. They were with him 24-7. I mean, they, they were together all the time. And they saw him 
doing all the things he did. They heard all of his teachings. They, they undoubtedly had campfire talks with him. One of my favorite things to do with my grandkids is to take them on a long trip. They can't go anywhere. They're in the car with me. They've even got their seat belts on, and they can't go anywhere. And I just, I have, I mean, if it's a long trip, I have hours to talk to them. And we talk about things that, that I, I want to share with them, and I'm kind of discipling them. And, uh, and the, the disciples were with Jesus like that all the time. And he just taught them. I just, I, I've often thought about, I've even dreamed about being around a campfire with Jesus and the disciples. And I'm just listening. And he, he's just telling stuff. He's talking about things and telling stories and things like that. I just think that would be so amazing. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have actually been there and heard that? Uh, and uh, and they, these disciples, they saw all that, heard all that. And then the day came where Jesus said, okay, guys, I've, I've taught you. You've watched me. Now it's time for you to go do it. And he sent them out to do the very same things that he had been doing. Now, that's the way discipleship works. You let your disciple be with you as much as possible, and, uh, and, and you, you teach them what you can. You let them see you do certain things, and then the day comes when you say, okay, now, Austin, it's your turn to get a disciple. And you're going to go out and do what you've seen me do. That's what the apostle, he said, those things that you've heard and seen in me, you go do. You go do those things. And so this is the account. That, that's the introduction to my message. But this today, the front door, I mean, the front porch is bigger than the house. So uh, uh the introduction is longer than the sermons, what that means. Nobody got that, did you? Okay. All right. So in Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13, and Jesus has just marveled at the unbelief of the people we talked about last week, folks in his hometown. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So he's taking his disciples with him, and he's going teaching all these different places. And then he called the twelve to himself, gathered them around him, and he said, okay, now I'm sending you guys out, and I'm sending you out two by two. So there are six teams that are going out, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, they've already seen him exercise power over unclean spirits, so Jesus, in essence, says, I am authorizing you to do what you've seen me do. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, a staff. This is not just a, a stick that used to kind of get around with. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belt. So he says, I don't want you. <clears throat> you're not going out uh, with a bunch of stuff. You're going out. But 
and to wear sandals, not, not shoes. Sandals were just soles with straps on them, kind of like flip-flops maybe today. So he says, just want you to dress very simply and not to put on two tunics. In other words, you're just going to wear a, a tunic and, and not even an outer covering, so you're not going to get all fancy dressed up. And then he said, in whatever place you enter a house, then you stay there until you depart from that place. In other words, you kind of set up a, a, a base of operation, and you stay there. You don't just go jumping from place to place. You find a place. We're told in Matthew's gospel that when you find a, a house, a, a person of peace is the way it's actually translated, then you stay there. Someone who receives you and receives the message like Lydia did with the apostle Paul in the book of Acts. So he said, you stay there, and then whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city because they've heard the gospel. They've heard the kingdom message. So they went out, and they preached that people should repent, that they should change their heart, that change their thinking, change their, their that they should turn from sin and, and, and stop thinking the way they're thinking, change their mind. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and, and healed them. And that's... Uh, that's the passage that I don't think I've preached on maybe ever. But I'm going to preach on it this morning. There's some principles I see here about how God wants us, me and you, to minister to people out in our community. And the first thing I see is that there is to be a spirit of unity and cooperation. He didn't just send them out single. He didn't say, all right, all 12 of you just take off and go somewhere. But he said, I want you to go two by two. When I was uh, 12, 13 years old, we had, we picked cotton. And uh, uh, I loved it whenever me and my cousin would work together to carry three rows of cotton. I would uh, carry three rows of cotton. You don't even know what that means, do you? But uh, when I sometimes I would my, my dad would say son I want you to pick these two rows and so I'd have to pick on this side and I'd have to pick on this side put it in my sack put it this side but every once in a while he'd say I tell you what how about you and Wendell carry three rows together which meant I got to pretty much pick this row and Wendell got to pick these two no <laughs> <coughs> Wendell picked his row and then the two of us together we worked together on that middle row. And so when I read this, he sent them out two by two. That picture kind of popped into my mind is that he says, I want you to work together. I don't want you to just go out here and try to be on your own. I want you to work together, at least have one partner. And, of course, when a whole church is working together, my goodness, how much we could get done. And, uh, 
and how, how much could be accomplished if we all have that spirit of unity and cooperation and we all have the same goal and we're saying we're we want to make disciples that's who we are we're not just here just to do good things i mean i'm thrilled that we're going to go over here and eat in a few minutes and i and i that, that's that's part of fellowship but fellowship actually should be preparation for discipleship it should be training us equipping us and encouraging us to find someone that we can disciple teach and train and love so so there's unity and cooperation and the second thing i see is is simplicity he said don't just take a staff, and I'm not saying that we have to take a staff. The, the principle here is uh, simplicity. Ministry is not about fancy programs. Uh, nothing wrong with some programs, but, but it's not about programs. It's about personal relationship. It's about <clears throat> loving somebody caring about them, pouring life into them, that God is pouring into you. And and you don't do that through fancy means. And I think that's what he's saying here. Is you don't, you're not there to make a show. You're there to make a difference. And so simplicity. And then, and then of course, along with that is humility. We don't go in like we know everything because we don't know everything. We go as learners. The first time I ever went to Bulgaria, I I was so humbled to stand and speak to a couple of hundred pastors who had scars on their bodies from years of persecution. And some of them missing parts of their face, their ears cut off or something like that. They had been tortured and beaten and because of their faith. And then here I come from America where I've never suffered anything. And, and I'm standing up speaking to these men about living for Jesus. And I could hardly speak. And I, I just told them, look, I know I've come here. You've come expecting me to be a teacher to you. But I said, I tell you the honest truth. I haven't come as a teacher today. I've come as a learner today. And I don't know, I don't know whether I taught them anything or not. But I tell you, they taught me a lot. And my heart was enriched in speaking to those men. And they say, you know, that they got something out of what I was teaching too. But I probably got a hundred times more out of what I learned from them than what <clears throat> they learned from me. And so we go out to disciple people. We don't, I think sometimes the, the, we can fall into the trap of feeling like we've got to, we've got to follow some kind of uh, program. 
and again, I, I'm not critical of, of having some discipleship material, but discipleship is not going through a program. It's, it's pouring your life into somebody because you love them, care about them. It's being so one with their heart that when they hurt, you hurt. And, and you're there not to, to be, quote, the solution. You're there to be a partner with them, a helper with them. And so humility. And then, of course, that includes charity as well. Charity. You go out. I don't mean charity like, I mean, that's, I'm talking about love, just genuine love. And then it's kind of a troubling passage there where it says that the ones that won't hear you, that when you leave, you shake the dust off your feet. I, I'm trying to figure out exactly exactly what that means. And, of course, it can mean that you're saying, you bunch of sorry rascals, you know, uh, you, you deserve what you're going to get, you know. I'm not sure that that's what he means there. Another thought that I had is that it may involve, I don't want their unbelieving and ungodly ways to have an effect on me. And so I'm shaking the dust off my feet because I don't even want my association with them to in any way affect and infect my love for Christ and my love for others. So uh, I, that's kind of how I've taken it. Now, it may have that other idea too. It may be, you know, because it does say that it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. And one thing is for certain. He's saying that if people will not hear the message, if you share it with them in love and, and the power of the Spirit of God and they reject it, then <clears throat> their hearts are closed. And he's saying, you know, that move on. Look for people that are open. Look for people whose hearts God is opening to the truth and, and minister to those people. So the idea of there is a kind of a, a seriousness to it as well. And then the last thing that I'll uh, mention is that it, it involves ministry. It just involves teaching truth and serving people. Teaching truth and serving people. Uh, back about 25 years ago <clears throat> when I was pastor at Hero Villa, I would wanted us to have a school. I wanted us to have a, a school where children could be taught and trained and, and discipled. In fact, I said I want it to be a disciple, disciple-making school. That's what I want it to be. And uh, so we set it up initially anyway. It's kind of changed since then, but <clears throat> we tried to set it up where it wouldn't cost so much. That certainly changed. Good gracious. Elizabeth said she checked into it, and I think it would be $27,000 for her three kids to go there. Just uh, ridiculous now, <clears throat> but we tried to set it up where it'd be reasonable and uh, affordable. But here was the thing: I said, "What I want is I want us to train servants, not rulers, not even leaders." You say, "Oh, don't you want people to be a leader?" No, I want them to be servants because if you're a servant, you can be a leader. But if you're a leader, you may not be able to be a servant. But you can be a, a, a leader if you are a servant. And so our focus was on uh, the fact that God has not chosen many 
in this world who are famous and rich and powerful and so forth and super intelligent, he don't choose, doesn't choose many of those to be his ambassadors. But he chooses those that are ordinary and common and plain. You read this list of the disciples. None of them had been to seminary. None of them had been to Bible college. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were zealots. They were ordinary folks. And I said, what I want to see us do is take ordinary folks and pour into their lives such a way that they'll be a servant. And I remember the day when I was walking down the hall of the class over the, of the school over there, and one of the senior boys saw a first grader whose shoe had come untied. And that senior boy said, hey, and he called the boy by name, said, your shoe's untied. And instead of making fun of him, he said, let me tie it for you. And he got down on his knees and tied that boy's shoes. And I started, <laughs> I started weeping. I said, yes, Lord, that's what I want to see. I want to see people who have caught the spirit of Jesus. And they are saying, I don't want to be a big shot. I want to be a servant. And that's what I see here. Jesus taught his disciples you go out, and you go looking for people to serve. You look for people that you can, can actually heal, people that have needs that you can meet, people that are suffering, and you can say to them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me too, and he sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to help those who are suffering. And I believe if there's just anything that I want to see at Bear Creek Baptist Church is for us to be disciples of Jesus for sure, but that we will hear that call, make disciples. Find someone. Pray. Say, God, show me who. Who do you want me disciple and it doesn't have to be anything fancy you don't need you don't need to wear I'm a disciple maker pen or something like that you just go and love somebody pour your life into them teach them what you're learning and help them become a disciple maker themselves Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great wisdom of your kingdom's command. I thank you that you have not called us to be entertainers. You've not called us even to just be teachers and encouragers. You've called us and commissioned us to be disciple makers. And I pray that you'll help us today, Lord, in this, in this service today, to be asking the question, Lord, who do you want me to pour my life into? 
Who is it that you want me to disciple? And then I pray that you'll help us to act on that. And I know, I know how disappointing it is to disciple somebody for two or three years only to have them kind of fall by the wayside. But even Jesus had one that did that. But I know how rewarding it is to have those that you've discipled go on and become disciple makers. So help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.